Blood on the River, Chapter 25. This is the top, um, and it was written by William Simmons. It's um, primary evidence. What shall I say, but thus we lost him, that in all his proceedings made justice his first guide and experience his second, ever baiting business, sloth, pride, and indignant more than any dangers, that never allowed more for himself than his soldiers with, with him, that upon no danger would send them where he would not lead them himself, that would never see us want what either he had or could by any means get us, whose adventures were our, our lives and whose loss our deaths. Chapter 25 The day the ships are to leave, I go to Captain Smith's cabin to help him gather his belongings. He's able to take a few painful steps with a cane now, but it is still hard for him to get aground. Everyone says he's returning to England to get better medicine than we have here, but I know we, he would stay if that had not robbed him of his authority and his power to help our colony. Captain Smith holds two strings of beads in his hand. They are a new kind, blue, with intricate designs made by layers in the glass. They are worth a fortune in trading because the Indians prize them so much. He looks at the beads sadly. I will not need these for now, he says. He holds them out for me to take. Use them to trade this winter when the hunger sets in. I am stunned. I have never before touched these new world diamonds. As a servant, I do not feel I had the right to. Now I am no longer a servant. Slowly I take the beads from him. They feel cold and smooth in my hand. I tuck them into the buckskin-carrying pouch hanging at my waist. Captain Smith looks at me hard. Samuel, it will not be easy here. Things will happen that will make you angry. But do not let your anger get the best of you. Channel it. Let it give you strength for what you can do to change things, to make things better. Do you understand? I nod. I have watched him do this over and over, this shifting of anger into calm action. I understand, I tell him. He looks around the cabin as if he is wanting to remember it always. My throat is tight with tears, but I will not let them fall. I remember the first time I saw Captain Smith on the docks at Blackwall, how strong and brash he seemed. I remember how I hated the idea of serving him and learning from him. Then I think of how much I have learned from him, how much I have changed because of him. I, I search for the right words to say what I feel, but I can't find them. I'm sorry to see you go, sir, I say finally. <clears throat> Captain Smith stands a little straighter. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> I'll be back, he assures me. I'm not done with Jamestown yet. Then he does something that surprises me almost as much as the beads. He reaches out his hand and shakes mine, as if I am an equal, his equal, as if I am a man. His hand is leathery and calloused from hard work he has done here. So is mine, I suppose. We shake hands heartily. Have a good voyage, sir, I say. We begin the slow, painful walk to the ship's him with his cane and me carrying a sack of his belongings. I want to find you alive and well when I return, Samuel, he says good-naturedly. 
No starving, no dying from the summer sickness, no getting shot full of arrows. I grin. Yes, sir, I say. His orders suit me just fine. <clears throat> John Layden joins us and gives Captain Smith a strong shoulder to lean on him as he struggles to walk. You've been a just leader, Captain, he says. What will we do without you? You experienced settlers know a thing or two about survival, Captain Smith says. Maybe these newcomers will learn from you. Others join us until we are a small knot of men, walking slowly out the fort gates and down to the river. The men each have something to say. You were the best president we ever had, sir. You did more work than any of these gentlemen. He will take trade with the natives with you gone, sir. Have a safe journey, Captain Smith. <clears throat> the longboats are ready, <clears throat> are already making their trips back and forth to the mother ship. Richard is there waiting for his turn. He was still asleep when I left the cabin this morning, so this is the first I've had a chance to talk to him. Samuel, he calls me as I approach. Are you sure you don't want to come? Think of all you're missing. The seasickness, the rats, storms, week after week in the nice dark tween deck. I take a deep breath as if I am savoring my memory of the journey. Ah, the stench and the way the slot buckets sloshed all over the place in rough seas. I touch my hand to my heart. I will miss it. <clears throat> Richard laughs. Maybe you should come back with us, he says. You can be an actor in one of Master Shakespeare's new plays. There are plenty of good things I can think of about England. Fields of heather blooming in the countryside. London's busy, exciting streets. The chance to visit my mom's grave. But I will stay here in Jamestown. I touch the beads through the soft buckskin of my carrying pouch. I suppose you miss me terribly, too, I say to Richard, continuing the foolery. Who will you have fistfights with when I'm not there? He crosses his arms over his chest, and we just look at each other. The truth is, I will miss him terribly. Richard, oh, Richard, get yourself in the longboat, or you're staying here, Henry shouts. <clears throat> He's helping with the launch, and he has no patience. There's no time for long goodbyes. I ball up my fists and tap my chest, then my forehead, then Richard's chest and his forehead. Goodbye, my friend, I say. Captain Smith and Richard ride the longboat to the ship. It's not easy for Captain Smith to climb the rope ladder to the deck. <clears throat> but Richard and some of the sailors help him, and he makes it. They turn for one last look at the Virginia shoreline and our fort at the, and the group of us waving to them. Then they are ushered below to the tween deck for the long journey home. Soon after Captain Smith leaves, it is clear that we don't have nearly enough food to get us through the winter. When Chief Powhatan sends word that he will trade for corn, Captain Ratcliffe goes strutting around the fort full of his own importance. I will take 50 men, he announces. We have piles of copper and beads and will bring back plenty of corn to feed everyone. Captain Smith was not the only man skilled in trading. You will see how quickly we forget he was ever here. The new colonists are happy. They trust Captain Ratcliffe, and they feel confident we'll be eating well all winter. 
but I still see the noose ready to strangle our colony. Then something happens that does not that does give me hope. Hope for me and John Layden and his family. Master Percy says he will build a fort at Point Comfort, about thirty miles down river from Jamestown, near where the river meets the Chesapeake Bay. From there we will be able to protect Jamestown from a Spanish invasion. We'll stop the Spanish ships before they even enter the river. Soldiers will work to pile up dirt and mount artillery. John Layden and I are being sent to build cabins for the fort. We will call our call our fort Algernon. I fear what will happen in Jamestown this winter, with its overcrowding and lack of food, and Jamestown is the heart of our colony. I believe that if the natives attack, it is Jamestown they will attack. But at Point Comfort, we will have only about 30 men to feed. We'll have our own hogs, fish to catch, and oysters to dig. We'll be just across the river from the Warawasak village, where the people have become like my family and very near the Kesahotans, who have been our friends because Captain Smith often stopped in, in to see them on his voyages. I have the blue beads and my Algonquin words. I would be very glad to spend the winter at Point Comfort instead of Jamestown. <clears throat> I happily gather up my belongings for the move to Point Comfort, and I go to the Layden's cabin to offer to help them pack. When I enter their cabin, John is packing up his carpentry tools. Anne is sitting quietly watching him while baby Virginia sleeps in her cradle. Are you already packed? Oh, are you already packed? I asked Anne. She looks down and shakes her head. John doesn't even glance at me. I frown. Why not? I ask. The barge will leave tomorrow morning. She isn't coming, John says quietly. What? I blurt out. But you have to come. I do not. No, I do not, Anne informs me. I find I have lots of other women here to talk to and help me with the baby. And I want to stay safe within the palisades, not out there in the open. <clears throat> Unprotected from the Indians, John will come to visit me whenever he can. I still stay here in Jamestown. I will stay here in Jamestown. I sputter, not believing what I am hearing. It is much safer at Point Comfort, I tell her. Our neighbors are the Kekoyansins, our friends, and the Warasahaks. I know everyone in the village by name. I can trade if we run short of food. Anne shakes her head. I have made up my mind, she says. You won't be safe within the palisade, I insist. The new settlers have made war with the Powhatans. John, tell her what it was like when we first got here, how we couldn't even step outside in the palisade, the palisade to hunt without being shot at and men starved. John stops working for a moment. I told her, he says. She is stubborn and knows what she wants. Then order her to leave Jamestown. I nearly shout it. John looks up at me, one eyebrow raised. I realize that I have said a stupid thing. It is not in his nature to order his wife to do something against her will. She wants to stay with the other women, he says. I won't ta take that from her. Anne crosses her arms over her chest and gives me a self-satisfied look. Besides, she says, our leaders are not at war with the Powhatans. Chief Powhatan just invited Captain Ratcliffe to come to Warawokamoka to trade. They will have a feast and entertain them with dances just like you told me about. 
and they'll come back with lots of corn. We will have all we need to eat in Jamestown this winter. We won't even have to go out of the palisade. I want to grab her and shake her and show, shout into her face. There is no safety in Jamestown. I'm seething with anger. Why can't they see? Why won't they listen to me? I want to punch something. I ball up my fist, ready to slug the wall. Then an image flashes in my mind of Captain Smith ready to lose control of his anger. Then of him taking a deep breath, focusing, calming, devising a plan. I hear Captain Smith's voice in my head. Samuel, do not let your anger get the best of you. Channel it. Let it give you strength to change things. I take a deep breath, try to calm the fury inside me. I walk over the cradle where baby Virginia is sleeping. She's wrapped in a blanket, her eyes fluttering in sleep, her little mouth making sucking motions. She is so new, so innocent. I look at Anne. She is young and innocent too, only 15. And she is naive. She trusts Rat Captain Radcliffe to keep her safe and fed. Suddenly, it is Reverend Hunt's voice I hear in my head. You must learn to take decisions out of love, to make decisions out of love, not out of fear. I take another deep breath. My anger is focused. I have made a decision. I have a plan. I believe Reverend Hunt would approve. I have made this decision out of love. I am about to steal a baby.